You are slipping into a distorted dimension. Reality and fantasy are changing places past the event horizon. Bullies are victims, men are women, and abuse is love. You weren't here just yesterday. Reality is still out there. But to find your way back, you have to notice it. And now, the Disaffected Podcast with Joshua Slocum. Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. First today, a word from our sponsor. Leggings are back and plump lips are in. But the leading brands of hosiery haven't kept up with the times until now. Introducing Beaverhosen. Beaverhosen is a completely new kind of legging. Forget your Lululemons. They might hug your calves, but they forget the lips. Not Beaverhosen. Each pair comes with a built-in camel toe to show your lower half to its best advantage. Simply step into Beaverhosen and pull the patented ripcord. Beaverhosen automatically deploys a fully configured crotch panel that enhances your natural femininity. Yeah, that femininity. You've got the full, sensual lips of a supermodel on your face. Shouldn't the basement match the attic? Try Beaverhosen today. Not available in demigender, arbitrary and irrational restrictions apply, known as Moose Knuckle West of the Rockies. So I'm sitting here agonizing over what I'm going to talk about with you today. And lo and behold, a lovely message came in that I wanted to share with you from a new listener slash viewer. Excuse me. I'll call her Nicole, not her real name. Nicole says, I recently discovered your podcast and I can't get enough of it. You've articulated everything I started to wonder while I was getting my degree in mental health counseling. It was the most disorienting feeling, being taught all about cluster B personality disorders and then seeing those same traits in the thought patterns and communication styles of my peers and professors. This feeling grew as I carried out my internship at a psychiatric hospital and began to see the harm of the gender-affirmative care model. It was like, every fucking trans kid is a raging borderline and we are just playing right into their bullshit. Am I crazy here? I felt like an island, and I'm entering the field quite jaded, hoping I can carve out some small, helpful niche. Thank you so much for this show and doing what you do, especially your criticisms of the mental health industry. Your content is always illuminating, validating, and hilarious. Uh, Well, obviously. (laughs) Seriously. Thank you, Nicole. I, when I hear from people like you when you guys write to me <clears throat> and and you tell me that the things I talk about on disaffected are things that you have been thinking about things that you notice maybe you notice them professionally or personally you are validating me as much as you feel validated by the show so I thank you as much as you thank me for talking about it one of my skills and it's been a skill I've had for a long time is saying the things that a lot of people know or suspect but will not say. Maybe it's not a skill. Maybe it's just the degree to which I'm willing to be verbally bold. Uh, 
but it's something I've done for a long, long time. And like any trait, it can be excessive and it can get me in trouble. And it still does get me in trouble <laughs> because there are some times when even though a thing might be true, it's it's not really politic to say it right then and there. And sometimes I do anyway. But I think I think people who tell the truth, I'm not trying to big myself up here. I'm not the only person like me. I don't think most people are of this disposition. Most people are more timid um, or more conventional. Um, some people are go along to get along. But I think that most people who have a disposition like me, who who try to tell the truth about things they think are important, um, well, you know, we feel like Cassandra, the myth of Cassandra, right? She was punished by Zeus and cursed with, well, given a curse that she would be able to accurately see the future but that nobody would believe her. So I've I've felt like a Cassandra for a long time. I don't, I don't think I can predict the future. It's more about observing what's actually going on in front of us that a lot of people are pretending isn't actually happening. Um, and and it can end up making you feel like the boy who cried wolf, too. Except when you cry wolf, there actually is a wolf, but people won't listen. So um, I'm glad to know that there are people in the mental health field who see this. I I feel for and worry for people like Nicole because I don't know what niche they are going to be able to carve out for themselves. Wokeness and wokeness's current most florid symptom, which is transgender ideology, has captured the entire mental health apparatus of the United States, and it certainly seems to have done so in Canada, the United Kingdom, and to some degree Australia as well. The affirmative gender care model is uh, is considered the standard of care, and, and what that means is that you simply believe whatever children tell you and whatever parents tell you. And a lot of what these children are telling to clinicians is being egged on either directly or subtly and indirectly by their psychologically disturbed parents, usually their mothers. You're just supposed to believe them. An eight or nine-year-old comes to you and says, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl. Well, you have to affirm them because if you don't, they'll commit suicide, won't they? And what does affirming them mean? Well, it means going by whatever cross-gender name they've decided for themselves. Uh, it means respecting their pronouns. That is lying. Um, going along with the fantasy and the delusion that the child wants you to go along with by by referring to them as if they were the opposite sex. It then goes on to puberty blockers, drugs like Lupron, a chemical that's used in, in certain cancers. It's toxic itself. It's, it's a very risky drug. It's not something that you give lightly unless you're giving it to children to block their puberty to block their natural development. And most of the kids who go on so-called puberty blockers go on to cross sex hormones, excess estrogen for boys, excess testosterone for girls. And there are serious consequences to this, including sterility. And sterility isn't something that comes and goes. The word sterility means permanent, means you won't be able to have children at all lowered bone density, hugely increased risk of cardiovascular 
disease, heart attack, stroke, you name it. You do this to a body for long enough, this person is not going to live out their natural expected life cycle. And Nicole brought up borderlines when she said that it seemed like every every one of these so-called trans teens was a raging borderline. Well, um, yeah, a lot of them probably are. Here's the thing about that. Generally, one isn't supposed to diagnose personality disorders in adolescence for a couple of reasons. One is that to a great degree, most teenagers are kind of borderlines naturally. The emotional instability, the hot and cold, the rapid switching of hair colors, uh, political tribes, musical tribes, these days, Tumblr tribes and identities. A lot of this is normal to the adolescent condition. Some kids are more extreme than others, but you don't want to set up a model in your mind or set up a diagnosis that's going to carry forward with a child who may grow out of these adolescent pangs and you know, even if they have some of the traits of borderline that seem to be uh, a bit beyond what you would normally expect in adolescence, they have every chance to recover being that young. And the other reason is, well, so that's why you're not supposed to diagnose uh, kids and adolescents with borderline personality disorder or, or any personality disorder. On the other hand, personality disorders don't magically manifest in full form on your 18th birthday. That's just an arbitrary number. Personality disorders begin usually in adolescence and early adulthood. By the time early adulthood comes along, in most cases, sadly, they have concretized, they've calcified. Borderline is can be an exception, I've and I've changed my tune on this. I was wrong. The first uh, couple of years after the big blow up with my mother in 2016, when I I learned about cluster B and my whole philosophical outlook changed, um, I didn't want to hear anybody say that borderlines can get better. Um, And it was just too close and raw for me. And I was still fighting my mother, even though I wasn't in contact with her. And as some people accused me of correctly... I was projecting my experience with my borderline mother onto almost everybody else with the disorder. I was doing some of that. And I think one of the things I was forgetting was that the 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 likelihood of recovering from borderline personality disorder is correlated with how many floridly narcissistic traits a borderline has as well. As I've said before, I think all of the cluster B disorders, borderline, histrionic, antisocial, and narcissistic, all of them, in my view, share a fundamental narcissism, a fundamental self-directed self-absorption that is excessive and very clearly excessive compared to a normal range personality. However, with borderlines, there are people out there who are much less aggressively narcissistic than others. And it seems that those are the ones who are able to recover, who have a better chance at recovery. But with our current culture and with the gender affirmative care model, and that 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 model 
is not a standalone philosophical stance. It's part of a much broader um, idea that is not specifically about gender, but is about validating people's feelings, even psychiatric patients, validating their feelings, validating their delusions, being sure to say, let's get rid of the stigma. There shouldn't be any stigma about such and such disorder. The behaviors that are common to borderline and histrionic personality disorder people are socially being applauded right now. These kids who go into these gender clinics, this is what really drives me fucking crazy. The majority of these kids are from abusive households. Um, And I know that some people don't like to hear that. And I know that there are some of you out there listening right now who have a kid who who identifies as trans and that you yourself are not an abusive parent. I know that that happens. Social contagion is a thing as well. Nevertheless, the majority, not just a few, the majority of these children, and you can we've talked about studies on this show before that show this, the great majority of these kids have extremely psychologically, at least psychologically dysfunctional home lives if they're not being beaten as well. These kids, some of them, are going to look like borderlines because they are in fact developing borderline personality disorder or something very, very close to it um, or something just this side of the scale or just on the other side of the scale. And because the younger you are, the better a chance you have at recovering from that with the right therapy and the right knowledge, it is criminal that these children's trauma disorders, because that is what borderline is at bottom. It is a disorder usually that results from trauma. They're not being given their chance to recover because they're being told that the very behaviors that are cluster B in them, and that they probably have never even heard the term cluster B, they're being told that these behaviors are the real them. That their emotional breakdowns and their instability have nothing to do whatsoever with the way their mind and their emotions work. They are, they are provoked and imposed from without. It's it's societal prejudice that's doing it to you. It's not that there's nothing wrong with you being trans is normal. Thinking you're the opposite sex is normal. Ruminating over having your breasts cut off is perfectly normal because that's what trans people do. Or thinking that you should have had a vagina and you want to have your penis opened up inverted, your testicles cut off, and your inverted penis made into a faux vagina. It's just totally normal. You know, like Jazz Jennings, for trans people, that's normal. This is fucking criminal. It's Mengala level stuff. So not only are these kids going, so many of them going to be permanently, physically mutilated or maimed in ways that may drastically shorten their life expectancy, their psychological world is going to be hell too. Because, yeah, a whole boatload of these kids do have trauma disorders. A whole boatload of them are developing borderline personality disorder. You can see it. Look at the trans people who are in their early 20s to 30. Look at them on social media. Watch their behavior. Look at the pattern of how they interact over time. It could not be more obvious that borderline personality disorder is happening here. And these kids are being, 
I don't need, I'm sure they're not even being told what their actual diagnosis is, that, it, that this is a trauma problem. They're just simply being affirmed. So when the system is done eating them up and when their bodies start breaking down and when they start detransitioning, as some of them are, and looking for help, not only will they have that broken body to deal with, they're going to have to come to terms with the fact that their traumatized minds really need some very painful, very difficult work. I don't know what's going to happen to them. We're at the halfway mark, so we're going to take a break. Come back. Kevin and Josh work themselves to the bone to bring you dark and disturbing content every week. There are starving listeners overseas who get no podcasts at all. Show appropriate gratitude today by making a donation at patreon.com forward slash disaffected or at subscribestar.com forward slash disaffected. Do it for mother. Welcome back. I'm going to stay on that theme for a couple more minutes. Because today on Twitter, <laughs> the borderlines got big, big, big mad at me. Uh, every once in a while, one of my tweets, um, and you know, some of you follow me on Twitter. Uh, I sound on Twitter like I sound here. Well, actually, it's, I, I sound meaner. Uh, people tell me I sound much meaner on Twitter than I do when I'm speaking. It's probably true. Um, so it's no surprise to me that a lot of the things I tweet get a, a very strong negative reaction. But every once in a while, and today was one of those once's in a while, Somebody gets a hold of one of my tweets about the connection between trauma disorders and uh, unstable identity and gender uh, problems, and they go ballistic, and it ends up in the hands of of some young people who've spent too much time on Tumblr and who are creating a whole identity for themselves out of alleged disorders they have. A lot of these people are self-diagnosers. They have ADD. They have ADHD. Some of them say they have borderline personality disorder. Some of them say they have multiple personality disorder or dissociative identity disorder. And of course, we shouldn't take self-diagnoses as gospel, right? That's exactly the point I'm making with the with the notion of so-called trans kids, which don't exist. Only traumatized and confused children. No such thing as trans children because there's no such thing as trans people. There's nobody who's actually trans. But they are... But, but one of the things I say about borderline is it's one of the... It's, it's one of the only self-diagnoses that I usually believe because the people who label themselves this way display the behaviors and sure there could be some mimicry sure I you know I know that stuff is going on but I think we have to ask what kind of mind would be inclined to mimic and adopt these behaviors what kind of mind and what kind of emotional disposition spends its time advocating for destigmatizing cluster B personality disorders and talking about what a victim they are and wanting people to feel sympathy for them and railing at anybody who suggests that they have some hard work to do. Well, the kind of mind that would do that, one of them is a borderline's mind. Uh, so no, I, I, I don't think all these kids who are self-diagnosing actually have all these disorders. Do I think a whole bunch of them 
are borderlines? Very likely, yes. And today on Twitter, I, I it was it, this went even farther than I've seen before. I have watched for at least five or six years now an online cottage industry, if you will, of 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 making apologies for borderline personality disorder. There's a segment of the mental health industry uh, that concentrates. Well, there are some who who specialize in treating borderline personality disorder, and there are others who say that they specialize in it. But what I think they're actually doing is they're building a cult of personality for themselves, and they are getting narcissistic attention because they are catering to the deluded um, victim whining that borderlines and histrionics are wont to do. So their Facebook pages are all about ending the stigma and debunking myths about borderline personality disorder. And all the debunking is basically saying borderline personality disorder isn't borderline personality disorder. They're not manipulative. They're not mean. They're not narcissistic. You know, they're not, they don't do any of these. They're just suffering. They're wounded birds. Well, today... Some of these young people, and I don't even know how young, one of them claimed to be 15 years old, which I didn't even realize until I'd been into a, a long Twitter thread with this person. I hadn't checked their bio until somebody told me. Frankly, I don't think it was a 15-year-old. Um, I think there might be something else going on there. I don't know. But these people were arguing with me because cluster B personality disorders are a disability. And we should be trying to destigmatize this disability like we do for everything else. Why can't you just see them as disabled people? And some of these people <laughs> who were saying this claimed to have antisocial personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder, which is a new one for me. I haven't seen people own those yet. There's a way that you can get sympathy being a borderline. But to be so bold as to proclaim yourself a full-on clinical narcissist or ASPD, let me remind you, antisocial personality disorder is the clinical term for what you know as psychopathy or sociopathy. Yes, yes, I hear you. I know some of you are yelling at your, ra- not your radios, your your devices <laughs> right now saying, nah, nah, psychopo- psychopaths are born and sociopaths are made and antisocial is something different. Blah, 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 blah. Yep, 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 yep. I know a lot of people use those definitions and I know a lot of people work within that framework. What I'm saying is that is not a clinically universally accepted set of definitions. It simply is not. So don't correct me when I say that ASPD is a synonym for sociopathy and psychopathy, because I am not wrong. The industry, the mental health industry, does not agree with you that psychopaths are born and the word for those that are made is sociopaths and that they're entirely different. There's a lot of disagreement about that. Well, now that I'm done lecturing you, sorry about that. (laughs) I'm going to talk more about this on the show this weekend because I pulled some examples Uh, But what I want to talk about to round out this show is an article I saw in The Federalist. I really like The Federalist. You guys should check it out. It's, It's conservative. 
And the title of this is, did I get the title? I always forget the title. It's an article about the valorization of single parenthood and and really single motherhood. And the strap line is, the true in... Oh, okay. Glorifying single parenting doesn't empower moms. It hurts them and their kids. And the strap line is, the the true inequality in our society is between those children who are raised in a traditional two-parent home versus those who are not. I'll read you a couple of passages. A recent study by the Institute on Family Studies revealed how young women who marry in their 20s without cohabitating first are more likely to experience long-term marital success. Another study documented that couples who get married earlier in life experience greater romantic satisfaction and better communications. Says the author, I believe another item can be added to the list of marital benefits. Couples which marry, instead of just cohabitating or going their separate ways, are more likely to produce and raise emotionally and physically healthy children who succeed in life. Break away from the article here for a minute. Reading this kind of thing six or seven years ago would have set me right on edge. Oh, you nasty, conservative, Christian homophobes who hate gay people and hate anyone who doesn't conform to gender stereotypes and blah, blah, blah. I was woke. It's amazing. What I just read to you is the most box standard, obviously stupidly obviously true set of statements that people have known for a long, long time. We should not, we should not be in a situation where we read stuff like this and immediately get angry about it, like I used to, and like most people on the left do. We have problematized basic obvious truth. It's another reversal. Basic obvious truths aren't true. Not only are they not true, Speaking them is an act of abuse. (laughs) Back to the article. A few weeks ago, I read the obituary for Sarah McClanahan, a Princeton University sociologist who produced numerous landmark studies on this topic. Her most famous work, Fragile Families and Child Well-Being Study, documented how children born to single mothers instead of intact families experienced poor outcomes in life with the accompanying social problems that result from such consequences. McClanahan set out to prove academically what she already knew from personal experience, having been a single mother to three children. Her eventual husband and fellow researcher Erwin Garfinkel said, quote, Her research showed that growing up in a single-parent family even as you control for as much of the observables that you could possibly do with data, was damaging, and children did less well, and that was not very welcome news, end quote. (laughs) No, it wasn't, Mr. Garfinkel. Another passage. As Garfinkel noted, her views, that is Sarah McClanahan's views, found her in sharp conflict with those who affirmed single parenting as just another, quote, option for women. Quote, We reject the argument that people should not talk about the negative consequences of single motherhood for fear of stigmatizing single mothers and their children, McClanahan wrote in 1994. While we appreciate the compassion, 
that lies behind this position, we disagree with the bottom line. Indeed, we believe that not talking about these problems does more harm than good, end quote. Yep. And that's why I talk about the problems that I talk about on this show too. And it's not welcome news to a lot of people. I know it's welcome news to a lot of you who listen, um, thankfully. <laughs> but I do hope, I do hope that more people will come to be able to see these things. That's what I'm trying to do. I don't know if I'm doing a good job at it. Um, I can imagine that for somebody who is philosophically opposed to my point of view, my presentation and my style and the way Kevin and I do this show is probably too confrontational for some of them. Uh, they might need a, a, a gentler on-ramp. But I think there is a place for balls-to-the-wall commentary. Anyway, a couple more bits from the article. Sarah McClanahan's research resulted in other academics coming to the same conclusion. Quote, The family is the essential core of any society, and the steady decline of two-parent households is probably the single most consequential social trend of the half-century, wrote Dr. Peter H. Shuck in 2017. Quote, Indeed, the single best predictor of low upward mobility in a given geographic area is the fraction of children with a single parent. They give some interesting statistics. Listen to this. For instance, 31% of single mothers have reported they are poor, and more than 28% said they were, quote, food insecure. The average income for a single mother is approximately $48,000 compared to $102,000 for a married couple. The result is what Robert Rector called a two-caste society. The true inequality in our society is between those children who are raised in a traditional two-parent home versus those who are not. More statistics. The U.S. Census Bureau recently reported that the number of children living with two parents has dropped since 1968, while the percentage living with their mother only has doubled. In 1968, 85% of children under 18 lived with two parents, regardless of marital status. In 2020, 70% did. In 1970, there were nearly 77 marriages for every 1,000 women 15 years of age or older. Ooh, getting a little low there, aren't we? By 2010, the number had decreased to roughly 32 marriages per 1,000, the lowest rate in American history. Well, I don't think it's a good idea for 15-year-olds to marry. And I, you know, I, it's interesting watching the conversation about age of marriage. And I watch it more than I participate in it because I'm not sure what I think about it. I think there are trade-offs. And in fact, my mother made this remark sometime within the past 10 years, and she was right about it. My mother got pregnant with me when she was 18 and had me when she was 19. And she had my brother and sister. Oh, I guess, um, how old was my mother when she had my brother? Um, probably no more than 27 years old. So her childbearing years were done by that point. She had her children in her early to mid-20s. And she said many years ago, I don't understand. I don't think these young women know what they're getting 
not young women, excuse me. She was talking about older women, women who were waiting until their late 30s or early 40s to have kids. She said, I don't think they know what they're getting into because I can't imagine having the energy at that age to keep up with young kids that I had when I was 22. But I've also talked to women who've had children later in life who say there are positive trade-offs to this too. Uh, Maturity, financial stability, um, equanimity, Uh, in dealing with problems that they felt they wouldn't have had if they were much younger. So there are pros and cons. Um, And I'm not sure that I think that getting married and pregnant at 18 or 19 or getting knocked up at at 18 or 19, (sighs) I worry. I, I worry that this is such a young adult. Do you really know what you're committing to? Would you make that same decision if you were a few years older? Then again, in most of human history, people have had children young. It seems to be our default condition. I don't know. Interesting. Anyway, that's today's show, folks. See you in a couple of days. Well, hello, listener. It's Mommy again. You're quite welcome for the fine program. Why don't you show some gratitude? Send mommy some money on Patreon, patreon.com slash disaffected, or subscribestar.com slash disaffected. You wouldn't want mommy to starve, would you? And if you don't love your dear mother, you're not invited to find us on YouTube, Rumble, or Odyssey for our hottest weekly content. I guess this is goodbye forever. Forever.